Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I want to be a servant of Christ. Don't you? Truly. He's done so much for me, and I want to give my life back to him. The Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us. Because of his love, the Bible also says we love him because he first loved us. When somebody does something so great for you or so wonderful, somebody shows you great love, it creates a desire. You want to love them. You want to give back to them. You want to serve them out of a heart of, not out of duty, not out of guilt, not out of manipulation. I want to serve God because the love of Christ constraineth me because of who he is and all that he's done. I, I want, because of the fact that he became the ultimate servant to meet my uh, spiritual needs and to change my eternal destiny, I want to use my earthly existence to do what I can to please and to serve Him. Not only do I want to be a servant of Christ, I want to be an effective servant of Christ. I don't just want to spin my wheels. I mentioned it this morning, going through religious routines and, and well, I just checked off my religious checklist every week. I, I want God to use my life to count for His glory. I want to bring honor and glory to him. I want to bring uh, joy to others. I want to bring a smile to the. I want to share uh, Christ with others. I want to weep with those that weep and, and rejoice with those that rejoice. I, I want to be an effective, meaning my life actually counts for something. I, I believe that God puts inside the heart of man, all of us, a desire for significance. We want to know that our lives matter. And we try to find that in all different ways. Well, maybe if I have this great career success, then my life will, I'll know that my life mattered. Well, <clears throat> maybe if I have this impressive thing in my life in this area, then I'll know that my life counted. We all have this innate desire for our lives to matter. I want my life to make an eternal difference uh, for God, to bear fruit long after I'm gone. And we're going to find, this is what we're going to find in this morning's passage we're going to find truly effective servants of Christ. We're going to look at, and the title of the message this morning is, Qualities of Effective Servants. This morning, we're going to look at the entire chapter of Acts 14. As we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study going through this book, this is message, I believe, message number 40, as we've been going through this book verse-by-verse. We're going to look at a good bit of scripture on the front end of the message and, and, and as we read the chapter together. And as we do, I'd encourage you to follow along in the Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word and you would take it and you would read it, we would be glad for you to take one of those pew Bibles there as our gift to you. We would like for everybody that wants a copy of God's Word to have a copy of God's Word. And generally, we normally have a bookstore where you can purchase those. That's under construction right now. We're in the midst of relocating that. But uh, I'd encourage you to follow along. We're going to look at all 28 verses of Acts 14 here on the front end of the message. And, and before we jump into that, by way of review, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in the series. Can we throw that map up on the screen behind me? We'll see where we've been. This is a map of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. 
Now, in Acts 13 is where it began. They left the church in Antioch, and, and you can see it there. Antioch, right above the Syria, they started in Antioch. That number one shows they, they went by ship, and they went over to the island of Cyprus. They began to preach there. They got on another ship and ended up over here. And, uh, and so where we're going to find, and, and if you go all the way up number four, Antioch in Pisidia, that's where chapter 13 ended. So geographically, that's where we find ourselves. And so when we begin reading, you're going to see the, the city Iconium. It's in the region of Galatia. That's where the book of Galatians was a book that Paul wrote to the churches in that region. This is where we find ourselves. This is where we've been. Acts 13 took us from one through four. Now we're going to jump into number five. And I wanted us to see that be, before we jump into it. Acts 14, I'm going to try not to give too much commentary on the chapter. I'm just going to read, but I'd encourage you to follow along and maybe make notes as you see something there that, that uh, God speaks to you or, or a, a note you'd like to remember. Uh, it says in Acts 14, verse number one, and it came to pass in Iconium, uh, I said not much commentary, and I'm already going to give commentary on the first line. The reason they're going to Iconium, they had been expelled out of Antioch and Pisidia. Just a reminder, what's happening here was not, it's not like they were being lauded as wonderful people. They had been kicked out. That's why they're going to a new city. Came to pass in Iconium that they went, Paul and Barnabas, both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the, the multitude of the city was divided, in part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, verse 6, they were aware of it. And they fled unto Lystra and Derby. Lystra is about 20 miles from Iconium. They fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, Paul seeing him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. What a day. He had never walked from birth. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mer Mercurius or Mercury because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities, false gods, unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are, are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. Aren't you glad that God has not left anybody in the world without a witness? In that he did good. The goodness of God in our lives is a witness that there is a God. And gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18, And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. 
And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, the last two cities where Paul and Barnabas had just been run out of town, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Verse 20, Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, plot twist, and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, about a 40-mile walk. He's beaten up, he's stoned, and he goes about 40 miles to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had again taught many, they returned again to Lystra, back there where he had just been stoned, and to Iconium and Antioch, where he'd been run out of town, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended. That's where it all started, Antioch, where they were sent out of. They sailed back home, back their ascending church, where they, where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. What we read here is an amazing, fruitful account of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas' journey. And how God had used them in the midst of tribulation. There was great victory. There was defeat. There were all these things. But what we see in every city where they went, they were effective servants of Christ. Everywhere they went, they made a difference in people's lives. Everywhere they went, they, they shared the good news of Jesus Christ. Everywhere they went, they left behind them a trail of believers. They left behind them churches that were planted. They left behind them people that saw uh, Christians walk through deep valleys, walk through persecution walk through lies, walk through difficulties. Everywhere they went, they shined the light of Jesus in amazing ways. And, and I read that and I say, I want to be an effective Christian servant, an effective servant of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to see from this passage, and, and we'll look at a couple of those verses, but I wanted to read it all up front to get the context, to see it all together. We won't go back and read a ton more there. We'll just refer back to a verse here or there. But I want us to see from the passage we just read, and you could probably pull out more, but I see seven qualities this morning that, that are qualities of effective servants. And I'm going to give you those seven qualities, and each one of those qualities, I'm going to give you what I see as one of the keys to having that characteristic in our life. The key from Scripture, what I think is the key, or a key to that quality here in the passage and what I'd like to ask you to do, as we're going to be together for the next 20, 25 minutes here as I go through this message, I'm going to ask you, would you ask God to point out at least one of these qualities that you need to grow in, that you need to work on, that you need in your life? And then the key that we see in Scripture, God, here's what I'm going to take with me for today. It may be more than one, but at least one. I want you to see the seven qualities here in this passage of effective servants of Christ. Number one, I see the quality of boldness. Did you see it right there at the beginning of the verse? It said it, it, said it in verse number three. Long time they abode speaking boldly. As soon as they got to Iconium, what were they doing? Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what had just happened 
back in Antioch of Pisidia. What had just happened is they had been expelled out of the city. And they get to Iconium and they preach boldly. And then, then in Iconium, they kick them out of the city and they go over into Lystra. And what do they do? They preach boldly. And in Lystra, Paul gets stoned. And what do they do? They go to Derby. And what do they do? They preach boldly. And then what do they do? They go back into those same cities where they've been hurt, one where Paul had been left for dead. Literally, the people that stoned him thought his life was over. They thought they had finished the job. Had, some people think he may have died. I don't believe that uh, based on, on some study there and that God raised him up there. I, I, res, God could have done that. I don't believe that's what happened here. But, but in any case, whatever it was, they thought he was dead. And what was their response? No matter the hurts of their past, they continued to boldly go forward for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get a little gun shy, don't we? I tried to love that person. I tried to serve there. That Christian hurt me. That family member did that to me. This person lied about me. That pastor let me down. And you know what? I think I'm just going to be done with it all. What do we see? Why were there churches planted all over this region? Why are Paul and Barnabas going to go on? Now, why is Paul going to have a couple more missionary journeys? Why is the gospel going to continue to multiply throughout this region and in this generation to the Jews and to the Gentiles? Why? Because there were a couple of Christian servants that said, I'm not going to let past hurts keep me from serving God in the future. I'm going to keep boldly proclaiming and some people accept and some people reject. I'm going to keep sharing Christ. I got, they got run out of town. They kept sharing Christ. The mob turned against them. They preached Christ. Many disagreed with them. It says the multitude of the city was divided in verse 4. They shared Christ. Many believed. They were bold witnesses. Many stirred up people against them. They were still bold witnesses. And may I say, in 2020, in a culture and society that is increasingly opposed to Christianity and to biblical principles, I want to be a bold witness for Jesus. I don't want to back down. I don't want my children to hide and cower in fear as adult Christians somewhere worried about. No, and, and you have to, we're going to get to this next one here. You have to be wise at times in how you preach Christ in certain societies and in certain cultures. Paul and Barnabas didn't preach it the same way everywhere. They preached the same thing, but sometimes they would go into the synagogues and preach from the Old Testament. Here, they were dealing with Gentile pagans that didn't know anything about the Old Testament. You know what they preached? They preached Jesus through the creation of the world. The, the, the way that they preached, now the, what they were preaching was the same, Jesus. And, but you have to have some wisdom sometimes, but I want to be a bold witness. What is the key? What's the key to boldness in our lives? I believe the key is found in actually the verse before, the last verse of verse 13. Would you read chapter 13, verse 52 aloud with me? Acts 13, verse 52, would you read that aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. I believe the key is, how are we going to be bold Christians? We have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because it's not in our own strength. In our own strength, self-preservation is our priority. In our own wisdom, self-preservation is our, but if we're spirit-filled, we will be bold when Christ is working through us. We, we will be timid when we're acting in our own strength. Christ in them gave them the strength to be bold to preach Christ to those around them. Christ in them gave them the strength to be bold to preach Christ to those around them. The 16th century martyr, Hugh Latimer, he was put to death by Queen Mary. The story is told that he once preached before King Henry VIII, and Henry didn't like his message. 
Henry was upset at the boldness with which which Latimer preached, and it was offensive to him. And Henry told Latimer, he said, he said, you're coming back next Sunday, you're preaching again, and I want you to apologize for the offensive way in which you boldly preach today. The next Sunday, after reading his text, standing up, Latimer began his sermon with these words. Speaking to himself aloud, he said, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore, take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But he didn't stop there. But then he said, But then consider well, Hugh. Dost thou not know from whence thou comest? Upon whose message thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, and who beholdeth all thy ways, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell, therefore take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. He then preached the same sermon he had preached the preceding Sunday with considerable more energy. When we understand who it is we're serving, we will have boldness. When we understand who our audience is and who our approval should come from, we will have boldness. When it's Christ that we're seeking to please and not man, we will have boldness. Proverbs tells us that the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Number one, I see uh, one of the qualities of effective servants. They're bold. And even when they've been hurt, they don't let that distract them. They don't let that dissuade them. They don't allow that rejection to quench their passion or to quell their preaching. Number two, the second characteristic I see here I've already mentioned it a little bit is wisdom 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 in how they preached I mentioned that already wisdom in who they preached to wisdom in where they preached wisdom in when they preached in verses 6 and 7 when Paul and Barnabas found out that the, the folks in Iconium wanted to kill them what did they do the Bible says in verse 6 they fled You know there is sometimes a fine line between wisdom and cowardice? This would seem like cowardice to me. I believe it was godly wisdom. Well, I'm not going to run from nobody. I'm not running away. I'm not doing anything. I believe that here we see this was not them running away from anything because we see that their goal was not self-preservation. Their goal was to be able to continue to preach the gospel. And had they stayed there and died, just just, I hate to break it to us, if we die, we can't preach the gospel anymore. Like, that's the end of our ministry. And so for them, the goal was not, I've got to stay safe. That's not why they ran. The goal was, I've got to keep preaching Jesus, so I'm going to have some wisdom here. If, if I can't preach Jesus here right now, I'm going to allow God to redirect me to go to the next place. And, and some could say the fact that they fled was a sign of cowardice. I believe it was wisdom and submission that God was redirecting them. There were times that Paul stayed and stood and fought. And he was imprisoned for his stand. He was not afraid to stand up for Jesus. And when he was in prison, guess what he did? He kept preaching Jesus in prison. Other times he fled and moved on to the next preaching station. That's why we must be filled with the Spirit. To know what is the right way. Wisdom. How do I handle this? How should I approach this person? I'm trying to help them with this. And I'm trying to preach Christ here. We're trying to see God work there. And we want to be effective Christian servants. It's not one size fits all. I, I've got to hammer it over their head this way or that way. We, when they, he was dealing with certain uh, people, groups of people, he preached in certain ways. When he was preaching to those, when Peter preached to those that put, put Christ to death, he ripped them up one side and down the other. And other times, he lovingly stopped and 
compassionately helped. We have to have wisdom how we're doing that. You and I will need wisdom in how we handle different obstacles and oppositions in our life. Even throughout this coronavirus situation, the leadership of our ministry, we've sought to have wisdom in how we've proceeded. I don't know that we've handled it perfectly, but we have sought to say, and we, we, at times, discretion is the better part of valor. It is true there's a fine line between wisdom and cowardice sometimes, but there can also be a fine line between faith and stupidity. Well, I trust God. So take me up in an airplane, and I'm just going to jump out of that airplane, and I just, without a parachute, I trust the Lord. That's faith. I think we could all agree that's stupidity. Now, now all of us, we, we have faith, but faith gets balanced in our lives. We have faith, but with wisdom. And, and so for us, even in our own church, we went completely online for a time. We didn't know where this was all headed. Then in faith, as we prayed, as we studied the reality of the numbers in Orange County, we felt led to open back up. And we went to drive-in services for a couple Sundays, and then outdoor services, and then we came indoor. And then we pivoted back to the courtyard. And last Sunday, we came back in here, and, and we've had small group settings, and we've had large assemblies. And in every instance, we've sought to be wise as it related to the hundreds involved in our church, as it relates to our Oh, by the way, safety and health is a priority, but it's not the only priority that we have to make decisions. We have a commission and a responsibility to preach the gospel and to serve our community, and we have to balance all of that uh, we, we, to, to, to minister to people. What is the key? So, so we see wisdom here. What's the key to having wisdom in your life in the face of opposition and obstacles? I see here the key is to walk by faith, not fear. Verse 7, it's a very short verse, but it's a great verse. Verse 7, do you see it there? And there they preached the what, church? The what? There they preached the gospel. This shows me they were walking by faith, not fear. If they were walking in fear, they wouldn't have come to the next city and started preaching again. Because guess what happened every time they preached the gospel? Their lives got put in danger. If fear was guiding their decisions, it would not have been, now that we're in, in Lystra, we're going to preach the gospel. It would have been, hey, we're in Lystra. Can somebody get my, my mom on the phone or my auntie? I got to get home. Can somebody get me a, a plane, a, a boat? I got to go back to Antioch. I'm done with this. No, they were still passionate, bold, but they were wise. And their wisdom, I believe they were walking by faith. They were trusting God. God, you're redirecting us. We trust you. We've sought to do that in our own church through these redirections in the last six months. God, you're re redirecting in this way let's have some wisdom they were not running in fear they were fleeing in faith that's a difference they were not running in fear they were fleeing in faith trusting that God was redirecting them for his purposes even in our own lives through all of this coronavirus and I don't talk about coronavirus every week but as I studied this and I as I, I the, it seemed like some of these principles apply to us may I encourage us as Christians we need to be sure we are walking by faith and not governed by fear. By the way, I've already said there's a fine line between wisdom and cowardice. There can be a fine line between faith and stupidity. We, you, you, you need to have the appropriate level of caution based on make decisions based on your personal health situation, your family dynamics, your age, etc. But, but walk by faith, not by fear. Study the actual statistics for where we live based on our population, not just the headlines and narratives you see in the national media. And I want to remind us, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, that is strength, of love, a care and respect for others, and of a sound mind. Understand the fact 
steps and walk by faith, not fear. As Christians, we're going to be effective servants of Christ. We need to have boldness. We need to have wisdom. Number three, I see the third characteristic. We need compassion. Compassion, verses 8 through 10. You know what we do if we're not careful when there's, when there's danger in our lives? We focus on ourselves. How am I going to get out of this? How do I fix this? How, where do I go from here? What was Paul's focus as soon as he gets to the next town? I won't read it again. We already read it. His eyes were focused on the crippled man. People with needs. It was not about, I wonder who's out to get me. It was not about, I wonder if those guys from Iconium are coming back. Those guys from Antioch are following us. Everywhere he went, there was groups that came in. When he got to Thessalonica, there was groups from the previous place that came in. I, I wonder, he wasn't constantly looking over his shoulder, how do I stay safe? He was walking by faith, not in fear, and he was looking around him, who can I help? How can I make a difference? Not, how can I protect myself? How can I manipulate? How can I move? God, how can I make a difference in those lives? If we're going to be effective we've got to take our focus off of ourselves and instead of worrying about who's out to get us or what, what, where we might get hurt, we need to keep our focus on people in need. A cripple from his mother's womb would have his life forever changed by the preaching of the gospel. Why? Because there was a bold, wise Christian servant that kept his focus outward in a time when it would have been easy to turn his focus inward. Simply put, to be an effective servant, you must care. We live in an increasingly selfish society, doesn't it seem? As Christians, it ought not be so among us. What's the key? Look outward, not inward. Paul, not looking at himself, looking. He says, it says in verse number 9, who steadfastly beholding him. He was looking out. Who needs help? Who can I help? Not what's wrong with me. What do I, how do I protect myself? What did it say of Jesus? Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. They were sheep having no shepherd, scattered abroad, having no shepherd. You and I need to keep our focus outward. It's so easy, and in a time like this, even more so, to turn our focus inward. Number four, number four, qualities of an effective servant. I see in verses 11 through 18, humility. Humility. So this is what happens. Paul and Barnabas are preaching, and right now, just like most places they went, everybody thinks it's kind of cool. This is great. These guys are good. They raise up the cripple from his, uh, the cripple. He walks again. He's walking and leaping. By the way, this wasn't like a, a sickness that he had for a week or two or a month or two that people could have just said, well, maybe he just took some medicine at home and got better. This was a man. They knew this man. He had been in their town since he was born. He had never walked. He couldn't walk. His legs didn't work. And they watched as Paul was there there sharing Christ and Paul looked at him and he realized that man has faith in the message I'm preaching he believes Jesus and Paul God allowed him to do some miracles to to give uh, assurance and to give credibility to the message he was preaching Paul said rise up get up and walk and all of a sudden these people are like whoa like when Jesus did the miracles the Bible said a great multitude followed him people like to see exciting stuff and they said, and they started, and they started saying it in their own language. Paul and Barnabas didn't know. They started saying it in the Lyconian dialect. They started saying, these are the gods. That's Zeus and Hermes. That's, that's Mercury and Jupiter. These are the gods. Barnabas is, is Zeus, the one that, that was a little more distinguished. He was probably a little, he carried himself a little bit more impressively than Paul. But Paul was the main speaker. So they said, oh, that's Hermes. He's the chief speaker. Well, in their city, there was a legend that these two gods at one time had come down incognito. 
They had come down and they had gone from house to house asking if anybody would lodge them, would care for them, and everybody said no. This was their, this is the legend they believed in there. They believed it so much they had a priest to these gods in their city. Like, it wasn't just a fairy tale. This was something they believed had happened. And, and there was one uh, husband in their, in their legend, Philemon and his wife, who allowed them to come in and, and, and took them in and cared for them. And the story went that had been passed down from generation to generation that everybody else in the population that rejected them was killed. But Philemon and his wife, they were, they, were, they were magnified and their little tiny cottage was turned into a magnificent temple. And as the story went, after their deaths, they, turned, they were turned into two stately trees that were there in their village. Kind of an anticlimactic reward, if you ask me. Like if, if I did something that great, I want more than just to become two trees over there. But, but that was the story. So this is, they're telling each other, they've come back. This is, this is Mercury and Jupiter. This is the, the two gods. They even had a priest to this god. This is them. Hey, we've, we've got to worship them. Well, Paul and Barnabas don't know what they're, what they're saying. They're saying it in a dialect they don't understand. And they just see a big, big, and then all of a sudden they start to understand it. And think about it. How would that make Paul and Barnabas feel, humanly speaking? I don't know about you. Here's what I would say. Being worshipped or praised is a nice change from being stoned. Like, I could kind of get used to this. Now, don't worship me, but it's okay if you kind of think I'm great. I'm kind of great. You know, I mean, I did just heal that guy. Like, that's humanly speaking. We can all get there, right? If you're Paul, you've seen God use you. It would have been easy to accept that praise. It would have been easy to say, well, I mean, it's really God, but yeah, he is kind of using us. And, and so I don't mind if you kind of give me a little bit of the praise, give him most of it. And by the way, before you get too hard on, on that idea, we do that still today. Sometimes we as pastors do that still today. I don't mind if you give me a little of the praise. Let's give most of it to him, but maybe shave off a little bit for me. And we all like that encouragement. I have to imagine in their flesh... It's a lot better existence to know the whole town thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread than it is to be running for your life 40 miles while you just got stoned. Okay, we'll get back to the imprisonment in a little bit, but hey, Barnabas, do you think it's all right for like a day or two or three or maybe a week or two if we just kind of enjoy this, enjoy the gifts? They're going to kill an oxen. The priest comes and brings oxen. They're going to put garlands on them. They're, I mean, it's a big celebration. They're going to I mean... It is a pretty good steak dinner we got going on here. And, and uh, you know, that we've got it catered here by Fleming's or Morton's or whatever it is. We've got this. They're going to kill the oxen. That could have been their response. And by the way, they wouldn't have been the first servant of God to get lifted up in pride because of how God used them. But what was their response? As soon as they heard it, they said, Sirs, why do ye these things? Verse 15. We also are men of like passions with you. We're preaching to you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. What vanities? The vanities of worshiping things that are not real. The vanities of, of giving your affection and living for things that will not matter in eternity. That's why we came here. is not to give you something else to give your life to. We're trying to give you a Savior to give your life to. Do not worship us. We're nobody. Remember when Peter, you remember that, when he went into, into uh, Cornelius' house earlier in Acts, and be, he fell down and began to worship? What did Peter say? No, 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 no. We struggle with the same stuff. We both put our pants on one leg at a time. 
No, no, no. We're the same. We have the same struggles. Don't worship me. I'm nobody. By the way, Christian servant, all of us must constantly seek to humble ourselves. What is the key to this one? It's in verse 15. Magnify God, not yourself. Paul and Barnabas said, we're men of like passions with you. We were lost like you were. We worship the wrong things like you. We have the same temptations you do. We struggle with sin like you do. But we're here preaching unto you the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is therein. Their ministry was not about magnifying them. Their ministry was about magnifying God. And maybe I'm preaching to myself right now, but Liberty Baptist Church is not about magnifying a pastor or an assistant pastor or a group or any man. This is not about you getting some higher art. This is about us serving and preaching the living God to those that need it. Pastor, it's God's church, not yours. Parent, they are God's children, not yours. Don't get lifted up in pride. Leader, those are God's gift in, gifts in your life, not yours. Businessman, that success is God's blessing, not your achievement. Wealthy person, that, that wealth is God's wealth, not yours. Honor student, God gave you that intelligence, not you. Athlete, God blessed you with that ability. Business owner, that is God's company, not yours. Those truths are all through Scripture. They they are not ours. It is God that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Uh, children are an heritage of the Lord. Without him, ye, without me, ye can do nothing. God, Christ showed his disciples, you can't do anything without me. But we have a little modicum of success in our lives. And before we, before we know it, we start thinking, look at what I've done. Look at the family I've raised. Look at the career I've built. Look at the degree that I achieved. Look at my, I got my undergrad, I got my, and I'm not against a master's or a doctorate, but if we're not careful, it starts to become about us. Look at my resume. Look at my business card. Look at my church. It's not my church, it's his church. Look at my people. Now, I, I have a, a godly love for, for the people of liberty, but you're not my people, you're God's people. I believe God has given me a spiritual leadership role, but I have to guard my own heart. Look at, look at what's happened here, and God's blessed there, and, and God let me live there, and God lets me drive that, and God let me visit that, and I have this friend, and I met that person. And if we're not careful, our lives become about, look at me, look at me, look at me. And Paul and Barnabas said, don't look at us. Look at him, look at him, look at him. Magnify God, magnify God, not yourself. One pastor said, humility is the supreme spiritual virtue because it gives God his rightful place. Boldness, wisdom, compassion, humility, number five, perseverance. Perseverance. The story, plot twist, goes quick. It goes from worship to really fast, like in three verses. It goes from worship to near execution. They were almost, Paul was almost killed by the people he was being worshipped by. And notice his perseverance in verse 20. He came into the city. He went back into the city where he just almost died. Verse 21, it says he returned again to Lystra. He went back to Iconium where they tried to kill him. He went back to Antioch. Nothing would derail them. Nothing shook their faith or caused them to respond in fear. What is the key to, to having perseverance through the trials of life? The key is to see the big picture, not your present trials. Paul said, I'm not going to focus on today's pain. I'm going to focus on tomorrow's reward. 
Lord. Isn't that what he said? Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. What did he say? I'm not going to focus on today's pain or yesterday's pain. I'm going to focus on tomorrow's reward. God has a bigger picture in all of this. Job said it this way, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When When you and I focus on today's trials, it becomes easy to quit today. We will, not be, we will not persevere as Christians. We will not be persistent Christians. It was said by persistence, even the snail reached the ark. Some of you will get that a little later. But when we focus on today, that's too long of a journey. That's too, hard, that's too high of a mountain. That's too painful of a valley. But when we focus on the big picture and when we say by faith, God, I believe you're using this to strengthen me, to prepare me. You're working all these things together for my good. I can't quit because I want to see how he takes all this bad and all this evil and all this pain and brings glory to himself in and through my life. I coach our high school flag football team here and we were practicing on Tuesday and and we hadn't practiced for a few days. And so uh, I decided we were going to do a little extra conditioning and Tuesday was probably the most conditioning we've done uh, for the, so far in our, our, our young season and I was having the guys run and they were doing sprints and they were doing they were doing push-ups and they were doing a bunch of sprints and, and doing different things and then it was sprint down and 10 push-ups and back and sprint down and 10 sit-ups and it was the full length of a football field and not just a little five-yard sprint and sprint down and kangaroo jumps and sprint down and squats and sprint down and jumping jacks and then sprint down and do all of them and sprint back and and by the end you know they thought it was going to go 5 10 15 minutes it went 20, 25, 30, and they were all huffing and puffing, and, and they were hurting, and, and I was having a great time, and, and, uh, and, and you know, if their focus was only on that day's practice, why would you do that? Why would you endure that pain? For what? So that you can dismiss us at five o'clock, and I can be sore and tired, and and, and cramps and, and muscle pains and go home? Why, why would I endure that pain? If my focus was only on Tuesday as a player, I'm going to quit. It would be much easier to go home, play some video games, watch some TV, eat some food, go to sleep early, wake up feeling great, no soreness. I'm not going to endure that pain if my focus is only on Tuesday. But why did those young men, 14, 15 guys, why did they endure that pain on Tuesday? Why? Because this Friday we have a round-robin tournament where we're playing three games in one day. And they understand there's a purpose to this pain. They understand if I don't get myself in condition, when we get to Friday, the fun stuff, the times when it's time to play and try to score and stop the other team from scoring, I'm not going to be able to. And there's a reward. There's something we're striving for. There's, and there's a purpose. There's a reason for this. Now, they wouldn't have chosen to go through those sprints. And if I had asked them, they wouldn't have said yes. But as a coach, I understand if they don't push themselves beyond what they think they can do when we get to Friday, uh, the the middle of the second game or the third quarter of the third game, they're going to roll over and die because they haven't pushed themselves. They haven't been stretched beforehand. When you focus on the the present pain, it's easy to quit. When you focus on the big picture, you say, God, you're preparing me for a future reward. I can walk through this present pain. There is a reward, a goal that we're working toward, but none of these things move me, neither count on my life, dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. I've got to finish it up. Number six, they were forward thinking. They appointed ordained elders in every church. 
They were thinking beyond themselves. The church, again, wasn't just about them. It wasn't just about their legacy. It was about how can these churches continue on with leadership. It was about the bigger cause of Christ. We all have a tendency to make things about ourselves, don't we? The key, care about the church, the cause of Christ, more than our legacy. If you're forward-thinking, I heard one pastor say it this way, every pastor is an interim pastor, meaning a temporary pastor. Unless I want liberty to close its doors the day I leave or God calls me home, I'm an interim pastor preparing this church for the next pastor. Forward thinking. So we want to make sure that we're spiritually healthy and raising up leaders. Why? So that hopefully this church goes far beyond under the next leadership. And I pray that's decades from now. But God knows his timing. God knows when all of that is. For all of us forward thinking, and they, they weren't just about, well, we came in, we got. No, they were, they were thinking about how do these people continue on without us. And then lastly, in verses 26 through 28, I see the last, the last characteristic of effective servants. They are healthy. Healthy. What happened in verses 26 to 28? Can you put that map back up there, RC? We'll put that map back up from the beginning. What happened in verses 26 through 28? Verses 26 through 28. Maybe not. No. Verses 26 through 28, they sailed. There it is. They sailed back. You can see they, they, they were in Derby. They went to Lystra, 7, Derby, 8. They kind of re, retraced their steps. Then they got in a boat, number 9. And they came back to Antioch. And notice what it says in Antioch in verse 28. And there they abode. What are the next two words in verse 28? Church, you've listened well. I'm about to close it up. Verse 28. There they abode what? Long time. Paul, we don't know. Paul may have written his letter to the Galatians here during this season. We're not told for certain. We do know they spent a while here and did not rush out on their next journey. Let me ask you a question. Did people still need to hear the gospel, yes or no? Were there cities that still did not know the truth of the, the Messiah that had come, yes or no? Were there, was there more work for them to do, yes or no? I don't know all the reasons why, but I do know here it says they didn't come back, grab some more trail mix and granola bars, put them in their backpack, jump back, on, on, get, call an Uber, and head on to the next city. That's not what they did. The Bible says they came back to their sending church, and there they abode a long time. When, when God's word is clear, I say that. When it's my opinion, I try to say that. My opinion is one of the reasons they did this was they needed to recuperate and refresh in their own lives. They needed, I believe physically, they needed to heal up. It had been a difficult journey. They had walked hundreds of miles. They had been, Paul had been beaten and stoned into a, within an inch of his life. They had some serious things, and they came back, and I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe, they, one thing I do know is they didn't rush on to their next journey. And I believe an application for us, you and I, we must take time to refresh. We are human beings, not human doings. No one is a robot with unlimited physical, emotional, and, and mental resources. We must take time to rest, to refresh, to restore. They, I believe, healed up physically. I believe they were refreshed spiritually. Yes, there were more cities to go out to, but they didn't say, all right, here it is. Now we're heading right back out. They came back and, and let God, I believe, minister to them while they also ministered to people there in their home church. I don't know exactly how long, but they stayed there a long time with the disciples. All the exciting stuff happened while they were on their journey. There are no books written about Paul talking about while he stayed there. The books are written to other churches, but this was a vital time in their lives. The Christian life church is a marathon, not a sprint. 
Now, a marathon is, doesn't mean it's easy. A marathon is still hard, and it's long, and it's tiring, and it's painful. But to finish it, you have to learn to pace yourself. It's not a Sunday stroll. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It doesn't mean you're, you don't press and give God your best. But, but you have to pace yourself. We are soldiers, but even soldiers, we have some soldiers in this room. They need periodic leave. You cannot leave a soldier out on the battlefield indefinitely for month after month, year after year, without ever having time to rest and refresh and get stocked back up, get his ammunition loaded back up. You and I must take time to refresh ourselves spiritually, refresh, refresh ourselves mentally, physically, to refresh our families. It is not unspiritual to take a nap. It's not unspiritual to take a, a season where you just spend some time letting God heal you if there's been a difficult time in your life. That's not unspiritual to take those times. I've heard it said this way uh, with, with our own lives, our, our schedules. Somebody said, divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Meaning every day, find some time to renew yourself. Every week, find a little longer time to do that. And every year, take, take a week or take a couple of weeks somewhere with your family, on your own, abandon annually to let your mind refresh. Sometimes we think, I've got to do more, I've got to do more, and I, and I want to do more. But sometimes the Abraham, Abraham Lincoln, I think, said, if I were given eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend seven hours sharpening the axe. Sometimes the best thing we can do is sharpen the axe, sharpen the saw. It's why I implemented a couple of years ago a sabbatical policy uh, for our staff members who serve here at least seven years. Mr. Cyprian was supposed to go on one this last summer. COVID canceled his sabbatical, hopefully next summer. And part of that is for growth. They're supposed to do some things that will grow them professionally. And part of it, I said, is maybe for you to do absolutely nothing and just recuperate. If you're going to serve in ministry for a long time in any, in any area, you need to take care of yourselves. We see the principle of Sabbath in Scripture. God created the world in six days. And then what did he do on the seventh day? What did he do, church? He created the Sabbath. Some people say, and he did rest, it's not a wrong answer, I believe he was still creating. He created the Sabbath. He created and showed, did God need rest? God, God is not, his arm is not weak, he is not, is not shortened. I believe he's given us an example that you and I, we need to stay spiritually healthy. I was talking to a dear, dear pastor friend of mine on the phone yesterday, and, and we were talking, and they're not, that, that their family is doing well, their church is doing well, they're not to the point of having major marital problems or thinking about quitting the ministry, but he was just talking about some of the everyday struggles of leading a young church and, and some of the things with marriage and with the family, and I told that pastor, I said, Said, I believe we all of us do too little of seeking godly mentors and counselors that can speak into our lives in these struggles. And, and, and I told him, I said, I have a, a friend of mine that is a godly Christian counselor, has helped many pastors in Orange County. I said, I will I'll put you in touch with that. And our church would like to help uh, take care of that need for you. Why? Because my prayer is that that family is serving God 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now if God would tarry in his coming. But sometimes we need to stop and we need to heal. We need to recuperate. We need to be healthy. I, I might be reading into that passage a little bit because it doesn't tell us all of that about Paul, but it does say he came back to Antioch and he stayed there a long time. I don't know all of the reasons for that, but I believe as I, as I look at what they had just been through in chapters 13 and 14, part of it was they weren't in any shape to go out and do that all over again tomorrow. And for us, if we're going to serve God effectively, we must be healthy. What's the key? And I'm done. What's the key? It's in verse 27. What's the key to staying healthy? 
And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed, what are the next three words? They rehearsed what? All that God, all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Here's the key to healthy service to Christ. Remember, it is his work, not ours. It is his work, not ours. I heard one pastor told me when I first came, I was 35, and, and this was my first lead pastor. I'd been an assistant pastor for 15 years. And he said to me, he said, Ryan, I just want to remind you, your church can always find another pastor. Your kids can't find another dad. I had another pastor I've heard that, that said, he said, make sure you take care of your bride. Let God take care of his. The church is the bride of Christ. Your, your gods. Now, I want to care for the church. I want to feed the church. I want to love the church. I want to pray with the church. I want to walk through valleys with you. But I have to remember, I am not your savior. I cannot meet every one of your needs. I cannot be at every birthday party, and I cannot, and right now I can't go to any hospital rooms, but I can't go to every hospital room, and I can't, and I do my best to be, when, when they're open, I try to be at most of those and visit new babies that are born and do all of that. But the reality is, none of us are going to find what we need in any other human. He is the Savior. I don't need to try to be a functional Savior for you and pastors. And Christians, we end up being unhealthy Christian servants when we take too much upon us. This is God's work. And the COVID thing, leading a church through this whole virus and shutdown, it's not been the easiest thing in the world. But I'll be honest, part of it's because of the spirit of God's people. It, I, it really has not been the worst thing in the world. Part of it's because God's people have been so supportive and so flexible throughout it all. But another part of it, I've told our, our, our staff as we've been making these decisions, we can't fix this. We don't know where this is going. And we have to pray. We have to seek counsel we have to do what we believe is best and we have to leave it to the lord and let god lead his church and i just we're going to try to help people we're going to try to lift up christ but we can't fix every problem we don't have every answer we're just going to walk by faith like everybody else is and that i believe keeps a leader emotionally spiritually mentally healthy i've gone too long today i told you i was going to at the beginning so you had fair warning but we see effective christian servants i want to be one don't you was there one that God spoke to you about this morning? They were bold. Boldness comes when we're spirit-filled. We saw that in verse 52. Are you bold for Christ or are you timid? They had wisdom. Self-preservation was not, they, didn't, they, didn't, they walked in faith, not fear, but they had wisdom. They were compassionate. They looked outward, not inward. They were humble. They magnified God, not themselves. They were persistent, perseverance. They saw the big picture, not just the present trials. They were forward-thinking. They cared more about the cause of Christ than they did their own legacy. And they were healthy. They remembered it was his work, not theirs. When they rehearsed it all, they rehearsed all that God had done. They didn't say, look what me and, me and Barnabas did. It was amazing. Then Barnabas, you should have seen Paul. He was, he was on fire. He was preaching like I've never heard him. It was, he was hilarious that day, and, and it was great. And then that one guy, remember he walked up, and we all high-fived each other because Barnabas had the power that day. It wasn't about Barnabas. It wasn't about Paul. They rehearsed all that God had done. In your life and in mine, are we effective Christian servants? Where is God speaking to you this morning? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.